you're on tour now, so I'm actually wondering what happens before a tour? How do you prepare for a tour? I mean, you were very prepared for our thing when we first played. Oh, yeah. No, no, I have to think about the music for sure. Mm -hmm. And luckily, uh, we've toured a lot with Hudson, the group that's on this trip. And, uh, oh, yeah, I just practice the tunes and try and remember them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah. How do you practice? Just pretend I'm playing with whoever I'm playing, you know, and just sit down by myself and and try and remember the music. And, you know, and then, it, of course, it leads to other stuff. And I just start playing. And, yeah. And uh, there'll be something I'm working on that I practice, you know, and uh, uh, just try and imagine playing with other people. And and then then you that leads you to something. And you start listening to the sound of your own instrument and uh, and sound reproduction and all that. Yeah. Did you always do that, like playing along with records? Is, is that something you... I know I never played along with records much. Oh, okay. Um, because there was always like somebody getting in my way. What are they doing singing? I'm trying to take a guitar solo. Yeah, no, I, was, I never... I listened to records all the time, but I never played along with them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I, actually, I do that a little bit more now. Mm -hmm. um, once in a while now... I've found there are certain stereo albums that were made in the 60s when they were just starting to make stereo where they'll be just like the solo on a jazz record. Well, the soloist will be on one side and the rhythm section right. is on the other. And I like to play along with that. Mm -hmm. It's like a, the ultimate play along. And I found one West Montgomery record with Paul Chambers and, and Jimmy Cobb and Wynton Kelly where they're, it's during the guitar solos, you can just play along with the rhythm section. And Great. So sometimes I do that. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I always used to play along with your records. You did? Sure, man. Well, Pablo, maybe <laughs> this. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, because when when we eventually played in the end, it felt like. Um, yeah, you knew you knew my sound. <laughs> like, uh, um, it felt. Like you see, like you when you see somebody on television, like that you like a lot, you see him very often, and then you yeah. see him in real life. It actually feels like you've met before, but you haven't, you know. Absolutely, yeah. And you're used to their, yeah. Where do I know you from? But it's like that with music, you know. And it's it was like that playing with uh, people you've listened to on record a lot. Sure. How was it the first time you played with Jack Dugenet? Wasn't was it on Time on My Hands or? No, no, it was before that. Mm -hmm. um, well, the first time I ever played with him, and I was a huge Jack DeJunette fan, but it was in the 70s, late 70s sometime, um, and I was playing with this uh, quartet I'm trying at, at a club called Sweet Basil, and uh, the other guitar, there was two guitars, me and Jack Wilkins, mm -hmm. and, uh, and then Jack DeJunette came, and sat in for a whole set with us, which was thrilling, you know. And, you know, uh, the time in my hands was after all that, way after that. So I, I had played with him a few times. And the first record was that one with Spigniew Seifert. Oh, man. That I think you know about that. Yeah, that was like that was like 78 or something. It was early. Record with Jack. Wow. I love that record, man. I, I just... Yeah. Wow. It was so great for me because it was Jack DeJunette and Eddie Gomez and Richie Byrack. What a rhythm section. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I was I was so excited to be there and to be with that band. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. And, uh, yeah, and so I, we did a couple of projects together, recordings that he was on. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. um, just playing with him today after not playing with him for a few months, uh, just at sound check, you know, it's... Uh, the sound, I just like to listen to his sound too, you know, um, just the way he hits the drums and it's, it's really, uh, might as well be a piano or something, you know, there's so much music in there. Are there certain things that you couldn't, you know, put your finger on that you can say, this is what I've particularly learned from Jack by listening to him, but also, you know, playing and touring with him? Well, um, I guess let it let it go, you know, let it let it flow out of you. Um, and uh, 
and it's so much fun to do that with Jack because he's um, supportive and a, a, a voice at the same time always. And you know, when I first started to play with Jack, I really thought, wow, I'm going to get lost because I had all his records mm. and I thought that's, and he plays so uh, much stuff and it's so complicated and, and, uh, and uh, he doesn't give a lot of downbeats sometimes, you know, and uh, doesn't mark the phrases in the normal way. Then I started to play with him and it was all totally fine because mm. I realized that he knows everything I'm doing. You know, because he plays piano and knows the chords and knows jazz music and music so well. Yeah. And that's another great thing about Jack is it's, it's just music, right? He loves Sam Cooke and Otis Redding and all kinds of, of popular music, you know, that he really knows and reggae and rock, you know, real rock stuff, you know, all kinds of music. And um, so he, he knows so much that when you play with him, I think uh, I, after a while, I stopped worrying that I was going to get lost and said, if I just play, he's going to be cool, you know, because um, he'll actually go with you, you know. And uh, and I started to worry less about, you know, marking the tempo or marking the, you know, getting lost. I worried less about that. <laughs> and then playing free with him, we had so much uh, fun because he's he's really committed to that, too. In, in metric music as well, you know, and, uh, um, you know, the one of the greats, man, it's, uh, I just cherish every moment, you know, with yeah. all these great players. Yeah. Amazing. Yourself included and the Pablo Hill Trio too. Thanks so much, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the, the great things I, I think I, I've learned from you is how to, you know, I always appreciate it about you um that when you play a melody or if you play lines every note feels different and and sounds different mm -hmm. uh and i'm really wondering you know i i learned i learned that about you when i listened to you but even more so when i played with you and saw you know how you interpret a melody and, and mm -hmm. play over certain chords and i'm really wondering um how you arrived at this um, is that something that you put a lot of thought into, or is it something that you actually um, noticed yourself after after a while that you were doing this? Um, well, I, I noticed after a while, you know, but I've just been, you know, aware um, that every note comes out differently. And at some point you're like, why can't they all be the same? I'm playing, you know. <laughs> in the beginning and then you say oh wait a minute that's that's just the way the instrument and i work they come out to it you start to use what the instrument can do and what you can do and what you hear and for a string instrument like the guitar where you can bend and, and articulate notes um there's so many possibilities and then you just start to think about that and all the music that can come out you know the vocal sounding things of a guitar and, and the different places to hit it. And, yeah. you know, and a lot of it is, is just hearing all the, um, all the great players, yeah. you know, and great singers, uh, and just all the great music, you know, using the different uh, shadings that we have, but it's sort of like talking right in that right now, when you and I are talking, each word comes out differently. We don't talk exactly the same, like a robot. It all comes out. And the way you move your head and the, your neck and, and, you know, each sound is different, how long it is. You don't even think about it. And that's the same when we're playing on our instrument. Mm -hmm. So would you say now you, you're working uh, even more so working on expanding this instead of working on yeah. uh, making every note sound the same? Well, Maybe it's both at once, actually. Um, but I can't make every note sound the same. I've tried. <laughs> and and that doesn't even happen, really. Um, so, yeah, I am embracing what happens with my fingers, you know, and using that. Um, and at the same time, trying to get command of the instrument, but also, yeah, using what happens, you know, what actually happens when you play. And then 
trying to make the most of it and, and make expressive sounds that you like mm. out of it. Yeah. And allowing things to happen, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I, I felt like that record with, uh, with Larry Goldings and Brian Blade, Scott Colley, A Moment's Peace. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, to me, it sounded like, maybe it's, it's different for you, uh, but to me, it sounded like in terms of this difference in notes and bending and everything, that felt like another mm -hmm. big leap for me. I was like, wow. You no, know, yeah, I think it was, I mean, yeah, maybe for me too. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've gotten more into that, you know, and bending and trying to get the vocal aspects of the instrument. You know, I mean, guitar, the guitar world is crazy because a lot of people um, really uh, uh, separate different kinds of music, you know, mm. and uh, and they say, oh, well, there's jazz guitar, which is this kind of orthodox way to play. And then there's, you know, rock and roll guitar, which is this crazy thing that exists, you know, and kids get into the uh, mm. aspect of the guitar and and. Uh, you know, so I'm trying to, you know, use, um, you know, actually the real straight ahead orthodox jazz guitar to me is a little restrictive, you know, that pure hollow body uh, guitar sound. And because the, there's so much other cool stuff that the guitar can do. Mm. And uh, and so, you know, maybe in, in recent years, I've been more into that, yeah. allowing that language to come through, you know, and, and blues bending the notes. And also just, I mean, you know, when you think of uh, all the Middle Eastern things mm. that a string can do, starting in India and across all the, you know, uh, Middle East and, 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 and singing, you know, it's all sounds like, you know, Indian and, you know, Moroccan and Arabic singing, you know, and uh, so just allowing that to come into my playing somewhat yeah, and, I, and sometimes I have to remember to to let that happen, you know. <laughs> mm. And uh, interpreting a, a melody, mm -hmm. another big lesson I, I got from you mm -hmm. through playing and listening to you. Um, where do you think, or who who are your role models um, for that, or used to be your role models? Who who is it now? You know, because we we used to play that Joni Mitchell song, and ah, yeah, do you like? like that before or after from anybody you know uh, wow but it's also not yeah. a common play tune but still you saw the lead sheet i made and you mm -hmm. the song from back then in the 60s you told me uh well so, yeah so i remembered Joni, you know um and maybe some of that came through uh yeah mm. um but you know the thing is you asked me where does that come from It comes from the very beginning of music. It's ancient, you know, it's, it's from, you know, but in jazz, I always did love, especially the players that sang on their instruments and, you know, Louis Armstrong and Lester Young. It's unbelievable, you know, and, uh, and, and all the, you know, and then there were a lot of, a lot of guys that I love who play a lot of notes. Mm. But most of them still had that. Like Coltrane definitely has that, you know. And uh, and uh, uh, there's Charlie Parker had a beautiful singing thing where he he, he was like a crooner too, yeah. you know. And uh, and Coltrane, all those guys. I mean, I think all those those guys they liked Frank Sinatra too, yeah. You know, and uh, and certainly Miles. And then the guys you know that are in jazz that are more associated with lyricism too um yeah but there's so much in in and piano too you know the people that uh that bring it out of the piano like yourself and uh, you know even i remember there was this one record um where charlie parker plays around midnight it's the only one and bud powell's on it with him and i had that early on and bud powell's solo is like Wow, that's yeah. that's another level of. Uh, it's a night of, in Birdland, right? It's a live thing, yeah. Night in Birdland. Yeah, yeah, and Bud was phenomenal on that one. Yeah, that that drama time solo. That's that's really amazing. And that's you know, it's blues and lyrical, you know, <laughs> and uh, 
So it's it's not just the, the horns that can do that. The piano obviously can do it too, and sure, Bill Evans and you know, yeah, Herbie Hancock. Yeah, I'm wondering, uh, and I think we talked about this before, but I'm I'm wondering about your process of composing. Mm -hmm. You know, you told me a little bit that you do demos for your for uh, for your bands uh -huh. times when you compose new stuff. But how do you start? What's the... Yeah, I know. That's the hard part, is how do you start? Um, and so what I do now is record myself mm -hmm. on my phone. It's so easy with a little thing on your phone, you know. And I, but I used to do it just on a little cassette player or whatever. Is I'd, I'd, I'd fish around on my guitar. First of all, it helps me, the very beginning is it helps me to know what kind of piece I'd like to make. That helps. Okay. What kind, just very general, you know, like something fast, something really slow, something major, something minor. Yeah. And then, uh, so I, with the most basic thing, you know, and then I start and I just record something improvising mm. like that. And, Uh, I turn off the machine after a couple of seconds and then do it again and then do it again and, and then listen. And finally, I'll, maybe I'll find something that is a cadence or a little feeling of something and then I write it down. And, mm -hmm. and then sometimes I put it away. Mm -hmm. don't, keep, don't try to, you know, I usually try to do something to go along with that. You know, another fragment of a sentence right. to go after that first fragment mm -hmm. and um, a lot of times I can't get anything or I don't like it and so I put that aside and then come back hours days later to it mm -hmm. and then try and finish it and then eventually build up uh, a piece and sometimes I'll get a little piece in one shot you know but normally not Normally, I, I just get one part of it and then add to it. And most of these tunes are relatively simple, you know. And, uh, yeah, I, I find that, that that's good when it comes out like that, you know, yeah. uh, fast. Mm -hmm. You know, that when I labor over something and, and try and build it, you know, from each little, oh, no, that's not right. Oh, this next note. Oh, no, try that. And then... I'll get this string of things that that uh, makes no sense, you know. So it's it's more like I like to improvise and make up some simple thing that might have some nice thing to it, you know, that makes it different from just a simple thing that's just nothing. Yeah, I find your tunes very um, inviting to to play. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Thank you. And also, uh, and also, challenging at the same time. So. That's a paradox in a way, I feel. Mm -hmm. You know, it's because uh, they're in a way easy to play, but then at certain times they are not because there might be a, like a uh, um, an uneven length of bars or something. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, and, and I try to do the uneven ones. That's supposed to be natural. Yeah. You know I mean? And uh, you want it to sound and feel natural. And that's what it's supposed to be. Even though I'll labor over them, you know, a lot, and uh, sometimes yeah. it even reminds me of of the Beatles, you know, or your tunes like that, where you you sort of get into a groove, but then they like there might be a, like a two two four uh, beat, uh -huh. you know, just because it makes sense with the lyrics or with the melody, mm. you know, mm. and at times that reminds me of of certain you know unexpected things in your tunes. Wow, that's cool. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you, you know, you think about the pauses between the, the phrases and sometimes it, it, it can feel better to have two beats rather than uh, four or whatever. And, and uh, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of songs with vocals end up like that too, you know, and, uh, and you mentioned the Beatles. Yeah, I love mm. the Beatles. That's yeah. sure. you, you even wrote a tune called The Beatles. I did, yeah, and that's because, and it's not like a Beatles tune until the last, uh, the last like two bars. Yeah, it's is the do 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 do, do which yeah. is you know, and this is very sentimental on my part because that's the beginning of 
Um, the first song that I ever really loved, there's I Want to Hold Your Hand, which was their big hit, you know, when they came on the Ed Sullivan Show. It was a big thing Did for you anybody. Yeah, that's when I saw them, and that's when every kid in America saw them. Everybody saw them at that time, right? At On one night, yeah. the entire country of America, we had been hearing them on the radio. And, of course, this came for me right at the time when I was um, – I just turned 12. Yeah. You know, and uh, and my birthday was in December, and then in February they came on the TV, and uh, every kid in America saw them. And we had heard – their song had been a hit for a couple of months, mm -hmm. all those songs, and we knew the songs by heart, you know. And then all of a sudden there they were in America, yeah. That's something that, like, a whole generation – of which yeah. the continent was connected by by a, a TV. Yeah, by this one thing. It's crazy. I mean, people in my age. And you know, it's it's really the baby boomers because there's a lot of us, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your parents, same deal. I guess so. I guess yeah, so. Yeah, maybe they're a little young. Um, my, my father is maybe five years younger than you. Yeah, so that's a little young. They heard about it from their older siblings, you know. <laughs> But the people who were 12 yeah. that year, yeah. it completely changes. Because when you're in, in puberty, you know, everything that happens to you when your body is changing and you're becoming a human being, you know, instead <laughs> of a kid. Yeah. And then the, then the music that we hear then is so important to us. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel so too, actually. The music I heard when I was a teenager. Yeah. Kid also, but but the teenager time, yeah, especially. Absolutely. It's really I can I can close my eyes and start a song from there. You know, I st I can start like, you know, my funny Valentine by Miles mm. before. I can mm -hmm. start any song and it will ring in in my head. You know, because I've listened to that so much during that time. Yeah, and when you hear it, when you first fall in love with music, you know, you're just starting. Mm -hmm. as a as a person and yeah that music i'm still into the same stuff you know i i, I can't stop <laughs> yeah can you maybe talk about a little bit uh what you're looking for in a, in a rhythm section because you've played with so many great rhythm sections and of course you have some great associations with all the great guys so uh, is there like a, like core values that you're looking for in a rhythm section okay basses and drummer but also piano player bass and drums or organ whatever you feel like talking about I like people that make me sound good. Yeah. That's it. It's terrible. It's not awful. Well, I just want to sound good. And if they help me, I love them forever. Mm -hmm. And if I, and if they don't, uh, ah. no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's, you know, you, you find somebody, some people that you play with and it feels good, feels good to them. It feels good to you and you have fun and you make music together and it works. Yeah. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. You know, whatever that is. And uh, I, you know, there are, I could say other things, you know, but it's too specific in a way and, and not right to, to, to say I like somebody who plays this kind of music or, or, or the, you know, the, a bass player who plays this way or a drummer plays this way. It's not quite that. Yeah. First of all, it's up to me to also conform my playing, you know, but if it's too much work, it's, you know, a pain in the neck. Mm -hmm. But, um, man, you know, I mean, I, I love Bill Stewart. We played together for 30 years, you know, and I think he's so great. And, and he does have this thing where he can play ahead of himself, you know, on top of the music in a certain way, which it, it, it just gives the music this beautiful forward motion. And I'm always trying to uh, get that myself. And playing with him, it really helps that to happen. And uh, so I've, I've got really hooked on his ability to do that, you know. Um, and and so you know, the, and also maybe in a bass player, somebody who who enjoys playing the bottom part of the music. Yeah. You know, because I came up in this generation of when bass players were supposedly free of having to be a bass player. You know, no longer had the restraints of having to play the old traditional bass part, um, which is great and everything. But, you know, uh, if I'm playing the treble part, 
it sure helps to have a full range of music where somebody else contributes to making a sound, you know, and, and bass players who enjoy being the foundation and playing the bottom and playing the bass line, you know, and finding variations on the bass line, you know, and not, not getting in your way. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and also grooving in the rhythm. And so all the guys that I've played with enjoy that. And I think that's a mature way to play that part, you know, mm -hmm. um, drummers who like to, to groove, you know, and, uh, you know, people talk about, well, what do you like in a drummer? I think it turns out that I like really great musicians. Yeah. You know, like I said before about Jack, that he knows everything I'm playing. The really good drummers understand the architecture of the music. Yeah. Yeah. How was it to find Bill Stewart? Bill Stewart. How did you find him? Uh, Joe Lovano said, hey, you know, check out this kid. Uh, I'm going to use him on my record. And Joe, who was my buddy, we were playing together. And then uh, Joe asked me to produce a record mm -hmm. of his. So I produced his his first record on Blue Note. And uh, and he brought in Bill Stewart. And I was like, holy shit. Mm -hmm. yeah. And Bill was, you know, early 20s and just magnificent. Mm. So I asked him to play. And he said, okay, I'll play with you. <laughs> yeah, cool. <laughs> Uh, and also your association with uh, with Larry Goldings goes a long way. Yeah, and this came through Bill. He needed a place to rehearse and put his Hammond organ, and I had a studio in, in the basement of my building in Manhattan. And uh, so Larry became my partner in this studio. Victor Lewis, the drummer, and Larry and I shared this place, and, uh, and we started to play together back then. Mm, great. Yeah. You guys saw him. Also, yeah, you know, Larry, I, I can't speak, but Larry and Bill both, you know, uh, Larry, have you seen any of the things he does uh, on his, uh, like his Facebook or Instagram posts? I love that stuff. Yeah, yeah he's play, playing these weird keyboards, you know, and just like a little like one minute thing. Yeah, Larry's yeah, perfect, man. He's, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah, like yourself. Thanks so much, man. Um, there's this concept that everybody talks about um, of playing what you hear. We always go towards that direction of really playing what we hear. Yeah. Uh, but I, I doubt that. What if you don't hear anything? <laughs> wondering what you're doing then, actually. What, yeah. You know. Well, no, for me, when I play what I hear, I just notice that when I play something, There's always another idea right after that mm -hmm. in my head. Yeah. So I, I just try to mainly play that rather than playing some lick I had been thinking about playing, you know, to slip in some hot shit that I've been working on. Um, and sometimes you'll actually think of the hot shit you've been working on will be the thing that you think of, mm -hmm. you know. But so just trying to keep it honest and it's like a conversation like right now. I'm thinking of something and then I'm saying it and there'll be a pause in between while I think of what the words are, you know, and it's like that with playing. And then you can find your natural pauses like that. And sometimes you might want to accentuate the pause and extend it a little bit when you're playing with other people, especially um, you listen to what they're playing and then it all syncs it up, you know, And those pauses, just like a conversation, are really important. Mm -hmm. And what do you, um, as you said, you know, what if you don't hear anything or let's say uh, you don't feel inspired, you know, before playing maybe? Yeah. How, how do you treat this situation? Well, a lot of times before playing, I don't feel particularly inspired. Mm -hmm. But I, I have played long enough. So that if I play one idea, another will follow. <laughs> it might not be any good, but one will follow. Right. Um, and I think we just get like that the more we've played. Miles said a great thing to me. <laughs> and uh, he said, um, you know, when I use that space, that's because I just can't think of anything to play. Ah, yeah. He, he said that. And uh, I don't believe him completely, but uh, I... I uh, I thought it was funny, you know, because yeah. space was this thing that Miles certainly didn't invent, but but would just use so well. 
and talked about to the got to play with space. You know, it's almost like, you know, you got to play major chords or something. You know, not that anybody would say that. Yes, that's, that's you know who? What's his name? Andre Previn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he wrote a book called No Minor Chords. Okay. That somebody when he was writing for a film, you know, some director said, "Okay, l- this doesn't work." I don't want you to write any more of those minor chords. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, yeah, but Miles would talk about uh, using space as as just really important. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I and we know he's right, don't we? Mm-hmm. You know? And it, it turns out it's so natural that there's space all the time. But we never, you know, a lot of musicians don't think about that because they're trying to fill up all the space, you know, because they that's hard. It's it's hard and it also takes courage. Yeah. Know? Hey, no, but we have to have to have space. It's I'm so happy uh, when I do remember to leave, use space. I remember when Arnett died. I think it was before the second time we played, right before. And I remember you telling me how this music influenced you so much. And during that time, uh, you know, when he uh, when the news came that he died, you listened to a. Uh, to a radio thing like wh- where they put on nonstop um, Ornette, yeah, non- nonstop Ornette. So I'm I'm wondering because you can I can uh, especially thinking about your uh, early records with Bill Stewart, uh, you know, um, I can really hear that influence. But I, I'd like you to talk about it a little bit. That what it what it meant. Well, we were copying Ornette Colm, <laughs> you know, absolutely. And uh, you know, the other thing was. Uh, as well as Ornette, we copied the Keith Jarrett Quartet mm. when he copied Ornette. Yeah. You know, so he, you know, and that was with Charlie Hayden in that band. Um, no, I, you know, I love, like all of us, I uh, love Ornette's music. And uh, um, yeah, uh, I, it's funny. I remember I told you I had like 10 jazz records and Steve Swallow was on two of them. One of those records was Ornette Shape of Jazz to Come. Mm. So I knew I was, you know, going to my guitar lesson and trying to play the chords to to How High the Moon, which uh, were hard. You know, and I was, that was my first jazz song that my guitar teacher said, it's kind of a hard song to start with. Yeah. And uh, he said, here, learn the chords to this. And then, you know, so here I am trying to learn How High the Moon. And I've got these jazz records. And one of them was Ornette, you know. Yeah. And I loved it, but I had no idea that they were playing free or any of that. I just liked it. I loved the songs. Mm-hmm. So I was, you know, familiar with that style of playing without even knowing, you know. Um, and I thought they were playing like a blues or something, but they weren't, you know, when they blew. So I've I've been familiar with that style. And then, you know, because that and going to hear Ornette, I, I went to hear his group. Um, the first time I did hear him with Don Cherry and Blackwell and, and Charlie, they came, it was sort of a reunion, I think, of that band. Oh, it wasn't Don Cherry. It was, it was Dewey, I think. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, uh, so they, that, that band reformed in the early seven, in like 1970 or something. And I heard him and I, yeah, I just was, loved the tunes and was trying to check out playing like that. But also Paul Blay, I had his record. Mm-hmm. which had Steve Swallow on it, you know, Footloose. Yeah. And he did it on piano. He 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 was playing in a, that kind of free stuff on piano. And uh, I love that. So, yeah, I just love those, the way those guys played and mm-hmm. Keith Jarrett. Yeah. Yeah. Did did you see Keith, Keith Jarrett's quote? Yes. That, that band with Charlie and Paul Motion and Dewey Redmond. Yeah, they came. So when I went up to Berkeley the first year, 1970 they had a lot of great music at this club called the jazz workshop miles with jack dejanet and keith jarrett and uh and then shortly after that uh keith jarrett's quartet or quintet and uh ornette came too yeah Mm. wow i think it was all within a year's time did you ever play with ornette no but you met him met him once yeah He said, I'm going to start a harmonic band with you and Tom Harrell and Lee Konitz. And I, what the hell? Man, how could that be? You know, and, and <laughs> it never happened. 
Um, wow, what a bet. He said that. He said that to me. But we had this wonderful dinner with a bunch of musicians at a festival. And, and Ornette uh, talked a lot and talked about harmonics and, and uh, was just really nice. You know, it was just sweetheart. Uh, you know, and we were just there all uh, lapping it up, you know, listening to the master. Yeah. Right. In terms of sound check, hearing everybody in different on different stages, you know. Uh, uh, so what's what's the most important thing for you to um, to get the sound so that you feel com feel comfortable each time, no, no matter where you play? I think the most important thing is to not expect to be comfortable. Mm. You know, we have to be ready for that. You want to be comfortable and you do everything you can. You know, you go and you have the monitors uh, from the sound check to, you know, be like what you hear the other instruments. Um, and I think it's important to to try and just be in a situation where you can hear the other instruments and hear your sound in a nice way. And I like it when the amp is the one I like, you know, and it's working properly because mm. um, I don't bring my own amp. I use a, a rental amp, you know. And uh, I like the setup to be where I can hear as much as I can of the other guys acoustically. But then my amp has to be kind of away from the other guys or else they hear way too much of me. Um, and it's, it's, you know, generally it's not the perfect situation. And then some rooms uh, have terrible sound. You know, I've I've never understood while people will have a concert in their town and will pay all this money to bring a group there and then have a PA hire a PA system and make their big concert in a room where the acoustics are just, you can't hear anything, you know, sometimes we have to play in those kind of rooms. Yeah. And, uh, it's just the way it is. So I, I really think the best thing for me is to not expect it to be right. Yeah. Cause if it really is going to be right the way I like it, then it's, you know, it's going to have to be specific. So I, I have to be pretty giving in that way. And then I just go and play anyway. And after a, a few songs, usually you can get used to anything. Yeah. You know, I know there's this one club <laughs> in in Boston where we've played for like 25 years. It was it's the only club. It's the best club there, you know. And the sound is terrible, you know. And we usually play like three nights or something in this club. And the first set, every time, it's like, oh, my God, this is so awful. And and uh, and then by the last night, I don't notice anymore. You get used to it. Mm -hmm. But hopefully you get so that if you're, if you're um, forgiving enough of the sound in yourself, then you can have more fun and then you get used to it quicker, you know. Mm -hmm. But... Um, Man, I've, I've I've tried everything, you know, and I've played too loud so many times myself, you know, to going too hard. And, you know, sometimes you have to play under. It's hard for me to do that as a guitar player, you know. <laughs> but having, you know, having the electric guitar work in acoustic jazz is a challenge, mm -hmm. you know, to be the only guy up there with a really an electric instrument. You know, even the bass that's coming through the amp is acoustic and, and working in the context of acoustic trio or, or with horns or whatever yeah 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 you know i think and then i remember i played a gig with dr john the night tripper who i was a big fan of and and i and i was really checking him out you know the first few times i played with him and and uh, i remember once they brought him like this just terrible uh uh electric piano and there was no acoustic piano or anything it was just this piece of crap you know and he was like okay Mm. You know, I was thinking, man, you're a big star. You could like pitch a bitch, you know. And, and he even said something like, "That's okay. I'm, uh, I'm flexible." I think he said, you know. And uh, and I thought, wow, he's got it down. <laughs> and it ended up being fine, you know. I mean, it's not like he was playing like Rubenstein or something, or it wasn't Horowitz, you know. Mm. But it, but he he plays the hell out of a, an acoustic instrument, you know, and and uses that. And now he was cool on playing on some really bad keyboard. Mm. But I've noticed that with you too, like um, staying very, very positive all the time. 
Well, uh, it's like we have no choice, isn't it? Very inspiring. You know? Yeah. Remember that one gig we played? For me, it was terrible sound. No, but I remember, and I remember yeah. throwing your um, your hearing aid out. <laughs> threw it away. Five thousand dollars. Just threw it away. <laughs> no, but I had to. Yeah, it was just not working. Um, ah, yeah. yeah, that was a rough one. But yeah. the rest were all good on the tour. But that one was challenging. <laughs> but and there's always going to be something like that, right? Sure. But I, it was really amazing to see how positive you stayed and also how amazing you played in this circumstance where you obviously didn't feel, you know, comfortable, yeah. uh, to see how you made, you made it work musically between us as humans. You didn't lay it on, on us like, uh, yeah, the happy <laughs> that's good. Because I tell you, Pablo, I've tried to do it the other way where I, I was, a you know, have a little shit fit. And that's terrible mm. because, you know, then nobody has a good time. Mm. And then it's a, a, a real waste of, of your life, you know, to do that mm. because we have a chance to celebrate, you know. <laughs> uh, and so it's better to try and do that. And, you know, and some nights are not like that. We all have rough ones. I mean, it's never going to be that every night is great. It's just never going to happen. I thought at one point, you know, every time I think I have a great night, you know, I think, ah, oh, I finally got it down now. Okay. Smooth sailing from here on out. But then bam, something turns around and kicks you in the ass, you know, and it's a, invariably it happens. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, true. And that's something I learned from the elders. You know, I learned that from playing with these guys. I mean, Miles, you know, I mean, he, he as mercurial and he was supposed to be, you know, he would every gig he was into it, mm -hmm. you know, and and it would be all kinds of weird stuff happening, you know, and big, big, funny sounding places. He just played anyway. He got into it, you know, no matter what. Hmm. Are there any other uh, pieces of advice or lessons you got from him that you still think about when you play? Or that you all don't no, no, I think about it. I'll go, okay, you know, let's play with space. Don't play too loud. Don't play, you know, play a little longer, play a little shorter, uh, uh, make space for the other guys. You know, I have to remind myself every time, mm. uh, that's, you know, part of it. Uh, I don't think we can ever, uh, not use our brains, you know, and, and we use our brains to remind ourselves of the things that we know work. But at the same time, if we're too busy reminding ourselves, then, then we're not uh, in the moment. Mm. So I have to remind myself to be in the moment, and then I have to try and stay in the moment, you know, uh, like by remembering to not think, which is impossible, right? Because you're remembering something, that means you're thinking? I don't know. <laughs> don't think about the blue elephant and, you know. It's... Yeah. Oh, there he is. <laughs> Anything but the blue elephant. Yeah. How did you feel when Miles started, when he started having Gil Evans transcribe your... Oh, man. You know, first of all, you know, just the fact that Miles would have Gil, one of the giants of modern music, yeah. you know, and then he was like, Gil, write this out. And I was like, what? And Gil would say, okay. And then he would, you know, he would like, I remember Gil sitting there with headphones. It was the early Walkman Yep. Tape recorder. They just had the Walkman with a cassette in it, and he was like listening to something Miles wanted him to write out at the record date. He'd be right there sitting at the piano. We'd be setting up. He'd have his headphones on, and then he'd have written something out with, uh, for Miles, you know. And uh, um, he was just helping his friend Miles out, you know, <laughs> and uh, trying to make make something happen. And it was part of their thing of of what, you know, what's the most real stuff, you know, and the re most real stuff is the, are the, you know, when, when you're really playing, you know, and, uh, and Miles was taping the band and he, he had also, I remember made a cassette of himself practice playing and had given it to Gil just by himself. And it said, Gil, this part here is good, you know, write that out. And then he would do it with us too, when we were just jamming at a rehearsal playing it wasn't ever jamming um we we're playing at something he wanted us to play at a rehearsal or from a gig and then he would have 
Gil ride things out. And, and he, you know, I had only been in the band probably a year. And uh, then he started to have Gil write out my stuff as well as his stuff to become the heads. And it was a great, uh, you know, ego boost. It made me feel good mm -hmm. to have the masters be into it, you know, but, uh, and, you know, he did the same for the other guys in the band too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But actually now you're, as you just told me, you're going back to that stuff, you know, recording yourself yeah, and writing tunes out of that. Yeah. And Zawinol mm -hmm. said that that's what he did exclusively, you know, and, and the times that I met him, pardon me. That's a cool thought to think like in a silent way or, uh, directions or these tunes, They came out of improvisations from him. Yeah. Cool and I, it, I'm not sure if, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that uh, maybe Miles told everybody that that's the way to do it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. But you know what? I mean, it, it's so much a part of jazz, really. Uh, I mean, you know, when, when, you know, you hear about Duke Ellington, mm -hmm. you know, putting the stuff together. At, at, at recording dates, you know, it's taking a riff, you know, and, and, and using that. Um, if we think about it too much, sometimes uh, nothing gets happening, you know, but it's, it's sort of the uh, miles and these people were so into uh, spontaneous music being this great thing, you know, to, that to get out of your own way and let the music come out um, and then something good will happen. Mm. And it's beautiful. Yeah, and it's so natural too. We all kind of know it intuitively, you know, mm -hmm. that that's that's really important. And and maybe you know, in in uh, the 19th century, with the great composers, they knew about that too. But they didn't have tape recorders. They didn't have access to recording. Yeah, so they must have. Who knows? You know, oh, I got this idea. They probably got really fast at writing it out. You know. Yeah, there are great stories about Beethoven and Bach. You know, improvising. They say they and they must have improvised, yeah. Yeah, and there's a lesson in there, you know, talking about improvising compositions, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a lesson to be learned there, I guess. Uh, Absolutely, and and I, can you imagine if we had recordings of that? Do you think recording changes your your playing in a way? You know, being aware that you're being recorded. Yeah. Well, yes, in a good way. Mm -hmm. um, you realize that the, the deepest subtlety of your playing uh, will be captured, so you don't uh, overstate. You know, you can you can play subtly, mm -hmm. um, and that helps us to develop. You know, and uh, on the the bad part is you'd be too self conscious right. because you, because you're recording. Yeah, you want to get it right for that one time. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're trying too hard to get it right. I mean the so much happens in the, you know, the two hours into the gig, right? When you're starting to not be so aware. And uh, can you elaborate on that? I'm interested. You're saying the interesting stuff happens maybe two hours into the gig. Which... Well, uh, that's what's supposed to be the case. It's not always like that. Sometimes you're good from the get go. And then at the end, you're t the energy's gone or something, you know, the traditional wisdom is, that the second set is better because everybody's looser. And, uh, but I've also had it happen that right in the beginning, I feel like I'm the band is there and you're there in a way and, and present in a way that maybe later in the night it's different, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So you can never tell. It's We just always... have to take the moments when they come. Mm -hmm. How many sets are you going to play tonight? Seven sets tonight. We okay. play from six o'clock. Six o'clock to four a.m. Yeah, yeah. No, we we play the late show. Yeah, ten thirty to midnight. I actually uh, I learned a big lesson also with you doing set lists. Uh huh. And also the way you put sets together, because that was actually a, a very big turning point for me. Because uh, me and my uh, maybe European heady, I don't know. I can I can't really explain it but i used to put together sets um looking for a homogenic like a one sound one mm. one thing that the right always like stayed, a symphony like um like uh, i always wanted to have a, a red line throughout the whole thing 
But in a way, I don't know if you're aware of, you did kind of show me this, but you showed me, or at least that's what I got out of seeing you put together sets, putting together sets. Um, I realized that the repertoire, the tunes, are just different um, environments that we as uh, as the musicians or the protagonists go through. So I saw you changing it up, uh, changing the 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 feel up by saying after we played a maybe a very heady Pablo Hell tune with a lot of chords, you just say, "Ah, let's just play a blues now," right? Yeah. And at first I thought. Uh, wow, a blues now? We just, we just, yeah. it's known right now, right? Um, I didn't want to stay in that zone, but I, I, maybe I, I didn't have the courage to go somewhere else. I don't know. Yeah. You just said, let's play a blues. And this is a big lesson I got from you, you know, to have a balance in the set of different things. To yeah, well, that's another way to, to do it, I guess, you know. I mean, the other way would be to, to have them. And I've always been, you know, up tempo, then a ballad, then something different kind of up tempo, and change it up, you know. Mm -hmm. But I think when I was playing with you, Pablo, I just wanted something easy, you know, <laughs> between the hard tunes, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it make, makes total sense. And I yeah. didn't think of it that way, you know, I didn't yeah. think about that. And that also made us play differently then on those tunes, you know. Yes. Huh. Yeah. But it's, you know, the set list is really important. And uh, sometimes you want to change it right in the middle and say, hey, wait, let's do this other one. You know? Yeah, you did that too. You did that too. Yeah. That's also a, a sign of you being in the moment. I guess so, yeah. D did it change with Miles or with Herbie? Uh, did they change the set list or was it? Well, you know, I mean, I think Herbie probably would have changed the set list had it been his normal group. But when I toured with Herbie, it was a special project, and we were playing the songs from the record to the new standards. So it was all these pop tunes that he had arranged to be jazz tunes. And um, we just played those songs. So we didn't have as much of a repertoire to choose from. Mm -hmm. um, and with Miles, he played the same kind of, you know, 80% of the songs would be the same every night. He had some, you know, songs that would just come in and out once in a while. He wouldn't play every night. Um, but I remember with Miles, we just played concerts. You know, he was the biggest thing in jazz. It was always concerts, never clubs. And one time we played a concert where we had to play two sets. They had to have an intermission. And so Miles just, like, played 45 minutes the beginning of the same concert that he played every night. And just stopped and then came back and started again and played the second half, you know, and it worked fine. So what's next for you after this, after this tour? I have uh, a, a CD I made with a quartet with some friends of yours, Bill Stewart, uh, Vicente Archer on the bass and uh, Gerald Clayton on keyboards. Cool. And uh, we had fun making that. We did some gigs before and then we went in the studio and I wrote some new tunes you know and so those guys will come with me and we uh, we do a bunch of gigs for the rest of the year right and for next year is there another band coming coming no, up no that's that's the one for next year for the beginning and then I'll think of something else after that you know right. whatever they let me do oh I have some solo gigs too How? Which I can't do Pablo it's impossible to play solo <laughs> guitar concerts It's it, it, impossible. Only Segovia and those guys can do it if they no. But I'm going to try anyway. And so I'm thinking about that and trying to practice and Great. figure out something to do. We'll see. I've done a couple of solo gigs and and uh, and you know the the solo cadenzas you do at the end of tunes. That's kind of your yeah. Those are fine, but you can't do those for for 53 minutes. You know, I have to always, do something. When I listen to you, that's one of the moments where I go like, I could take this forever. You know, I could. That's because you don't have to play. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> no, also when I see you, when I see concerts of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah. So that's one aspect, you know, that's, we'll see. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure this out. How are you figuring it out? Well, what I'm working on now may not actually work. But, you know, with guitar, how it goes chink, the old, what a guitar really does easily, 
is play rhythm guitar, you know, which is like just the chords, chink, 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 in country and Western or in blues or anything, as well as jazz. See, piano, you can go chink, 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 and have another thing happening at the same time. And that's what is really hard to do on guitar. There are some guys that can kind of do it. You know, there's one incredible guy, this, uh, and I forget his name. He's a young guy, Italian name, but he lives in New York. Anyway, he, this guy and the guitar players will have heard of him because he's phenomenal at, at playing jazz, solo jazz guitar. So anyway, I just think if the chink, chink, chink goes, and then you play a line, you don't hear the chink, chink on a record when the rhythm's set. You hear mainly the line. So I thought I can go chink, chink, chink. I can fill in my own spaces with chink, chink, chink. Yeah. And then it'll almost sound like the chink, chink, chink keeps happening under my line. So I, I'm kind of working on that. We'll see. That's clever. You know, and uh, and then just playing by myself. Yeah. Maybe I'll come up with something, you know. Yeah. And we'll also see. when you just play lines, I can hear all the chords. Yeah, hopefully. And other, other role models, like do you actively go out and then listen to guitar players playing solo or do you also... You know, with, with solo guitar, I don't think there's that much in the jazz idiom, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so I try and stay away. I mean, there are some great musicians like Bill Frizzell plays solo, and I'm scared to go listen to any of that because I'm afraid I'll copy it. And I've heard Pat Metheny play by himself when it was marvelous. Um, mm -hmm. Just maybe like one tune and stuff. But those guys... I've already copied enough from them. I don't want to ever listen to them again. And uh, uh, Ralph Towner. He's one of the great solo guitars. Yeah. And he, you know, can use the classical technique. Yeah. Uh, which is, that's a, a whole other thing. Yeah. I remember his solo record. I, that's one that I really copped from the one where he, uh, on ECM years ago where he plays Nardis. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And I also had another one. Oh, back when I was a Berkeley student. Before he even, when Oregon was just starting, there was a, uh, a a bootleg of him playing at some party by himself. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, so, and then there's, you know, Joe Pass, who everybody knows as the great solo guitarist, and it was magnificent, but he's got such a different technique and, and thing from me that I wouldn't try to play like that. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, you know, something else would be good, you know. Mm. When, we'll see. When I play solo, I try to sometimes not listen to piano players play solo, but yeah. listen to orchestras or uh, string quartets or stuff like that. To, yes. Uh, well, that's, yeah, just listen to music, right? Yeah. And and, uh, and and not think too much about your instrument, you know. Uh, and uh, certainly, you know, at this point, not not... I try not to play like other people, even though I'm fascinated with the way other people play the guitar, mm. if they're good, you know, and there are a lot of really great guitarists, you know, that I, that I hear that, that you can't, you know, I, you can't help but, but be influenced somewhat by it, but I try to not do it because if I'll just let my own thing come out, but, you know, the days of like transcribing are, are over for me, um, but I think they influence me anyway, just when I hear them, you know, sure. just even like once, like, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. It's, I think it's also that uh, sometimes that moment of realization of, uh, oh, that's possible. That's yes, possible. absolutely. Just, just to think that it's possible. That's, that's enough sometimes, right? That's, that's enough. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes you have to go deep and really check it out because you might not get it at the first mm -hmm. uh, moment. But sometimes mm -hmm. that just, yeah, that's that's uh, okay to do or that's possible to do. Mm -hmm. That Then it can get into the back of your head and then you can not think about it for mm -hmm. maybe and then it'll come out in a different way mm -hmm. or lead to something else. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, John, I have to I have to go pick up my kids. Now you got to go. Now yeah, I, I just I just saw your your clock and it's getting they're waiting for yeah. you. So thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Well, it's easy, right? Because we're just hanging out like we always do. Yeah. So. And I really look forward to the next time we get to play. Absolutely, Pablo. Bye, Pablo.
Bye bye. <laughs> I like a drummer who keeps the form. <laughs> Keep the form. You gotta know the form. You kids today, you don't know form. No. You gotta know form. <laughs>